Uh, would you like to stand? Just sorry, sorry about that. Outrageous demand. I just thought I would uh, say a prayer as we enter into our conversation. Um, so maybe take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Or in Māori we could say hākina, breathe in, and hāputa, breathe out. God, we thank you that you are present in our breath. You are present with us. And although we often scramble to find words to try and capture something of who you are and what it means to try and know you, um, none of that scrambling changes the sense of a presence that sits underneath everything and holds us together and draws us toward one another. So may we somehow come into that space and be aware of you and be aware of one another as we talk and share and eat. Amen. All right, have a seat. So, we are uh, coming towards the end of the year at a frightening rate. It's extraordinary. I went into the supermarket this morning and there must have been about 15 Christmas trees up in that supermarket and I thought, this is outrageous. I could not hear Mariah Carey anywhere. And you cannot put up Christmas trees unless you're willing to play Mariah Carey Merry Christmas. Best Christmas album of all time. <laughs> um, so I thought anyway. No, it, I was going to say I, I thought that when I was a teenager and when I you know, was in love with Mariah Carey, but I, I, still, th I still think it, even if I'm not in, in love with Mariah in the same way anymore. Um, obviously in love with my wife, who's wonderful. But she doesn't have a Christmas album yet, so... Um, so we're coming towards the end of the year and we've been in this series uh, called Beyond Tribalism. That's what we've been working our way through over the last few times at Formation. Uh, and so we've been, this is where we've been. We've covered a lot of ground actually. Um, it seems like only yesterday we were talking about the darkness of Christian empire and all of that. But actually it was a couple of months ago. And, uh, and really we looked at the way in which Christianity, in many respects, has been co-opted at times in its history by dynamics of power and exclusion and empire and colonization to take it really away from the kind of movement that begins with Jesus uh, and turns it into something else, uh, something that becomes very much us and them in and out. Um, and... And then we've, we've had more conversations since then about that whole dynamic. And, and one of the reasons we're doing that, and if you've been coming along to most of those, then you'll be familiar at least a little bit with the conversation, is that belonging really matters. But that often we can belong in really 
unhealthy ways or for really unhealthy reasons. And the reason we'll do that is because we want to belong. Uh, and so what we've been trying to explore as we've worked our way through this series is are there ways in which the Christian story offers us uh, a sense of what it means to belong that doesn't depend and require us to see others as the enemy or others as the scapegoat or others as the other who we must kind of somehow make other from us to make ourselves feel more special or included or a part of things. Yeah? Uh, so that's what we've been trying to do. And we continue to see in the world, and every week on the news you will see uh, that these issues of belonging are very present in the world around us. Um, and we see the impact of that in positive and in negative ways all the time. Um, and so what we've, what we've been starting to explore in some ways, is, or what we have been exploring, is reflecting on Jesus and the story of Jesus and even the early church and the way in which, which much of what defined the early church and shaped the early church and its, and its following of this Jesus story uh, was this um, coming around a common table and even a common practice probably even before it was about believing a whole set of common things, it was about coming around common practices. So one of the things that sat at the center of early Christian communities in the light of Jesus was the table, the, what was sometimes called in the first century the love feast, which sounds very exciting. Uh, um, but where they would share you know, what has become for us the Eucharist or communion or, or whatever it might be called in your tradition. Um, and although big parts of it were about remembering in particular the death and resurrection of Jesus, it was also this table that was open uh, and in which people from all sorts of different places in life would come in and actually share this meal together with one another, which sounds maybe kind of straightforward and obvious, but at the time was not because there were all sorts of things that kept people in their compartments if you like. Um, so you had, you know, a whole class system, social status system. The whole Greco-Roman Empire was very much ordered on the basis of that social hierarchy uh, and where you were born and who you were born to really defined where you sat within that. You could try and bargain and barter um, to improve your situation in that status system if, if, if you could if you had enough resources to do so. If you're born into a slave's home, then no. <laughs> but if you had at least some status, then often, you know, the kind of practices they would do in the Greco-Roman world is maybe, it would seem, uh, you, if you wanted to improve your status, then maybe when you gathered for a meal, you would have uh, given a gift to a friend, friend of some kind who will then uh, speak well of you at the meal. Uh, you wouldn't do that for yourself, of course, because that would be um, trying to promote your own status, which you cannot do. So you would give a gift to somebody who would then uh, speak well of you so that everyone sitting around the table would be like, oh, tremendous, tremendous, what a fine person that is. Uh, and your status might be elevated and you might be able to work your way kind of up the system uh, using all sorts of strategies. Um, but ultimately, you're always working within a system where you fit within a particular band in society. Um, Maybe you're a woman 
well, bad news. Maybe um, you're a child or maybe you have some kind of illness or disability or or the colour of your skin or the culture that you're from, the religion that you hold to. All sorts of reasons to say this is where you fit and this is where you belong and don't cross these lines and don't cross these boundaries. So this notion that there's an open table where all of those people can all come together and gather and eat and drink and someone like the Apostle Paul would say we share in the same spirit, um, even in our diversity. Well, this was kind of radical. This was revolutionary and in fact was threatening to the system that was in place that used the structures of society to essentially keep the wheels of the machine turning. Um, and um, in some sense, we live with a similar but different set of those kinds of markers. Um, I think we could probably look at history and say, oh, well, we've come a long way since then to some degree, but we still um, have those ways of defining one another that say this is where you fit and this is the kind of person that you are. Um, and that means that you get to hang out with those kinds of people but not these kinds of people. I was even thinking the other day as you know, I was reflecting on the number of root canals I've had. <clears throat> I have great teeth and uh, <laughs> they're expensive, you know. Anyone ever had a root canal? Yes? Who enjoyed that? Man, you're thinking, what a tangent to start with. But yes, it's true. Um, I've had a few, <laughs> too many, for someone of my young age. Uh, <laughs> they're very expensive, and then you've got to pay to get a crown on some of them, which I've had to do on a couple as well. They're made of gold. Um, I'd like to say it was a miracle. That's what used to, used to happen back in the 90s. Um, but no, it was just the dentist. Um, but then I thought, I'm in such a fortunate position to be able to afford to fix my teeth in this way. If I did not have the resources at my disposal to do that, I would lose all of those teeth. And I would have lost many more teeth, probably actually the ones that haven't just had root canals, but if I hadn't been able to pay the however many hundred dollars to fix them. And then I thought, if I had way less teeth. <laughs> that would affect my ability to get a job, probably. Because I would turn up in a job interview and I'd give them my smile and they'd be like, oh, he's that kind of person. Um, a funny little thought that I was just reflecting on, but just how easily some of the things we take for granted um, actually do shape uh, where we fit within the system, where our, where our status fits. And that happens in all kinds of ways within our culture and within our society and even within the church where we say, oh, okay, you fit. I need to know some things about you so I can figure out where to put you. Uh, and yet uh, this Christian invitation into uh, something more radical than that. All right, I have wandered from my notes already and we're just beginning. So uh, we're talking about belonging. And uh, tonight is called, Why, How Do We Belong? And I, 
I'm going to fix it all and give you the magic answers. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you came here to be told like it is. Yeah, that's it. Um, belonging is, as I said before, is really important to us. And I think one of the things you're seeing happen in the world in the world at the moment is maybe people who have felt like, yeah, look at all the way the system the system works and the system works to keep people apart and to marginalise and oppress, and so we need to tear the system apart. That's been one movement that's going on in the world at the moment. Um, but if we don't also recognise that belonging still matters, then what we can create is a bunch of people who feel like you're trying to take their sense of belonging away from them, and so then there's a reaction to that, that kind of, and this thing kind of spirals, and we're seeing one version of that spiral right now, but it's, it repeats, it's, it's repeated its little spiral many times in human history, and emerges in different ways, uh, but manifesting the same kind of core drivers and needs and emotional agitations and anxieties. Um, so I want to talk about two words tonight that help me to think about belonging. And, uh, and we're going to have some conversation. So yes, Clint was correct. We shall be talking to one another. So I want to talk about two words that I think in particular shape a Christian view of what it means to belong and what the Christian story has to offer us in that regard. So we're going to talk about grace and uh, hospitality. So... Um, Grace is like this word that sits, it's a very common word within the Christian tradition and within the Christian story. Um, but sometimes grace has been defined in interesting ways. Um, so if we focus in on grace for a bit. Sometimes grace is defined this way. You're all terrible and you deserve to die, but God's not going to do that to you because he killed Jesus instead. Eh? <laughs> That's some grace for you. Uh, please receive the grace of the Lord. You know, And... Um, <laughs> That's a caricature in some sense, you know, not many people would say it like that. Um, but I probably, I, I kind of adopted that, even if I wouldn't have explained it exactly that way, that was essentially kind of what I believed for much of my life, you know. Um, this is what I deserve. I deserve not just death, actually. I, I really, as I've said before, uh, and so, you know, now I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm talking often enough to repeat my stories. <clears throat> um, thank you. But saying to my uh, <laughs> saying to my mum, you know, oh yeah, uh, God, if God was gave us what we deserve, we'd all be in hell right now, wouldn't we, mum? It's just it's just the love of God that's you know, it's just that God is good, and that's why He doesn't do to us what we what we really deserve. We'd all be in hell already if we got what we deserved. You know, I'm like a seven year old kid who's um, convinced of my own depravity already. Um, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't even, you know, I would never have, have I, I, I did see it as good news at the time. Um, but I probably reflect back on it now and say, okay, I think that maybe needed some work. Um, and I'd like to suggest that grace is something a bit different to that. Um, and grace in some ways is the, the presence of something. Uh, when you look at the human experience, you do see this complicated story, right? Um, we have this mixture of the beautiful and the tragic. And religion has words for this, things like image of God and sin. 
evolutionary science has words for it. Um, psychoanalysis has words for it. Different ways of trying to get at this core reality of the human experience, uh, which is that we are somehow capable of such wonderful things and such terrible things. We are capable of extraordinary acts of generosity and beauty and creativity and innovation and imagination and care and love and embrace. Uh, and we're also capable of violence and um, jealousy and anger and hatred. It's true, isn't it? These two realities sit not just out there somewhere, but we know they sit in some ways inside our own experience. Um, this is not to say, therefore, you're a terrible person, you deserve to die and be punished forever. It's not the point of that. It's just to actually name that reality, that that's our common human experience. Perhaps that's the one thing that we can all agree on to some degree because you will know that that's true of yourself. Maybe not that you're capable of some extraordinary act of violence right now. Uh, I was amazed uh, years ago when uh, New Orleans had, you know when the levees broke in New Orleans, there was a storm, Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, when was that? That was uh, during the Bush administration, I think. Um, 2005, somewhere around there. So so the New Orleans, it was New Orleans, wasn't it? it sits below the, the level of, what do you call that? Sea level, thank you. <coughs> PhD. Uh, and... Um, and the levees broke that keep the water at bay because of the storm and the water kind of filled the town, the city. And it was just fascinating in a weird way to watch how quickly a civilised city <laughs> could descend into mayhem and madness, shut off the electricity and people's access to resources uh, and all of that kind of stuff. And it's amazing how quickly things actually can spiral out of control. Uh, and so, you know, if we shut the electricity off in Auckland and the water supply and the sewage system, <laughs> uh, I reckon give us a week and we'd be a pretty different city. Uh, so our, our sense of kind of respectability is held together in a somewhat fragile ecosystem. Now, what I would hope is we would all band together. Look at us loving Christian folk that we are in a spirit of love and embrace and care for the city. Uh, but there are people out there who wouldn't, those people, um, because, <laughs> because we're all cap we are capable of, of both responses and both reactions and put enough pressure on us and all sorts of things can come out. So we're the image of God and it's beautiful and extraordinary, but we're also a bit of a mess at the same time. And, uh, and so you, you can respond to that in a couple of different ways. One is you can talk about what a mess we are all the time. Uh, sinner, 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 sinner. What a bunch of sinners you all are. Not me, I'm protected by this little ball up here. <laughs> you all have got some issues. Uh, <laughs> that's a little heavy. You don't want it to break. Uh, uh, repent, you know, whatever the language might be. Focus in on that. Um, or there's, there's kind of the other side of that, which is to ignore all the messy parts of our lives and say, you know what, I'm great, you're great, everybody's great, we're fine, 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 nothing to see here, no problems. I have no problems. Stop asking me, please. Uh, and I don't think that's quite true either. 
to either focus in on what's really terrible about us or what we're capable of or the mess and the, or the, or the, the stuff that's in us that we perhaps know we'd, we'd rather not be in there. Um, but also to just focus on um, how great things are, how fine we are, and give each other high fives each, each time we see each other. Um, and that's it, because everything's so great. It's also not a true representation of our real experience. Uh, and I think it's in this space of holding these two together that grace can become actually a really potent word for us. Um, this kind of radical grace that emerges in the Jesus story. And it's a grace that doesn't really hover over our heads waiting for us to say the magic words to enact its power. You know, a grace that is extended to us by God, but then just, uh, just waits until uh, we say the magic words. Um, but the message of the Christian gospel that we see in Jesus is that grace is kind of just extended all the time. And so we've mentioned before this, this idea that Jesus just walks around just sort of forgiving people who haven't even asked for it yet. He doesn't follow the correct procedures at all. So this radical grace that's extended um, that says you are radically, profoundly accepted by God. Um, and that that grace is present for you. And I think it's hard sometimes for us to hear that without also hearing, oh yes, that grace is extended to me, which means God won't then do this, this, and this to me. <laughs> but actually, I think it's, it's even more, it's more profound than that because I think whether you're actually religious or not, Christian or not, we are all aware of the stuff that sits in us that we're uncomfortable with, that we wish we would change. I wish I wouldn't speak like that. I would rather I hadn't acted in that kind of way. And some of those things we can remedy and fix. Maybe we can go and try and repair that relationship or restore what, something because we, of something that we said or did. But there are many things in our lives, in fact, we can't do that for. We can't fix. We can't make them better. And so people of all kinds, whether they're religious or not, walk around, I think, with the sense of that reality that's present with them. And there's this uh, gospel that comes in the Jesus story that says... Um, you might not be able to acquire all of the change and all of the freedom and all of the things that you want by trying to run around and fix everything, but God just offers this radical grace that says it's okay and you're accepted and it's all right. Uh, and the challenge then is for the church is that that doesn't just come sort of from God, from the heavens descending upon you, uh, although sometimes people have that real profound experience of, of grace as an experience of God present with them. Um, but in the New Testament, one of the things that happens for them is that that grace is found, that grace of God is found in the presence of God in one another. So where do you find the reality of that kind of grace? It's actually... The call, I think, for the Christian community is to say, well, it's, it's here, it's among one another where we are to embody that grace for each other. Does that make sense to you? Um, so 
I think that's the invitation to the church. Do you want to be that kind of community? And I just want us to reflect a little bit on this text um, from Paul's letters, letter to the Galatians. And he's writing this letter to the Galatians and they um, have a mixed community. There's a church. And at that time in the church, there are people who, have, who are Jewish who have become, who have said, yes, we want to follow this Jesus. And then there are people who are not Jewish who have also said, yes, we want to follow this Jesus. And uh, there's a bit of argy-bargy, a bit of a kerfuffle <laughs> about how that's all supposed to get along. How, how are we supposed to do that together? And some people saying, well, no, you've got to do this, this and this so that you can belong. Uh, and Paul writes to them in this space as they're having this conversation and says this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And these are some of the fundamental, this speaks to some of the fundamental things that defined people's uh, exclusion from one another, their separation from one another. Jew and Greek, well, these people could not eat together, could not hang out together, could not spend time together. The only way a non-Jew could sit down and have a meal with some Jewish people was if they would be circumcised and convert to Judaism and then we can eat together. Um, so Jews and Greeks kept apart. Slave and free is the hierarchy of, that's the ultimate hierarchy of the status system of, of your place in society. Um, something like 70 to 80% of the, of the Greco-Roman world was slaves. We're in the slavery section of that. Um, but here Paul says, in Christ, there is no longer slave nor free. And then male nor female, which is one of the other big dividing lines. So you've got social status, you've got gendered status, and you've got ethnic status. All of these things that are used to divide one another. Uh, and Paul says, actually, all are one in Christ Jesus. A really profound statement in that world. Um, but what I'd love us to do is to have a little conversation uh, about what this might look like. What are the implications for us now? Do we struggle with those same kinds of divisions? Um, do we struggle still with gendered divisions? I don't know. Some of you might say yes. Um, have a little discussion about this verse, and, and it might not just be these particular categories, but what might be the implications for a church community like Edge in Kingsland, in Auckland, uh, in 2018? What does that look like for us? Cool? Discuss. So, um, that's a good conversation to keep reflecting on, I think. Um, it's the kind of thing I find myself, hmm? Yeah, do it. Uh, <laughs> my feeling when I first think about it is the, this is like, yeah, I'm doing that pretty good. But the longer I think about it, the uh, more uncomfortable it makes me. Uh, in a good way. Good kind of uncomfortableness. Has anyone got any uh, thoughts just that were coming out of your discussion there that you'd like be happy to share with the group?
So we talked about quite a few things, but one was the fact that Alita was sharing, she'd read some research about people who've joined hate groups and most of them, when asked why they joined, they didn't join because of the values of the group. They joined because someone had shown them like care and concern and like you have a place here. And it had nothing to do with what they were actually standing for. It was just the fact that it was somewhere where they were included. And then, well, obviously, once you're part of something, you maybe start believing it or just adhering to it because now you belong somewhere. We were also talking about the whole idea around in 2018. Now we're facing the idea about it's not just about male or female, but it's about our sexuality. So as the church, how are we processing that? Are we processing it very well because we really like the ins and outs in that one well that's how I grew up anyway you were very in or very out depending on your sexuality choice so that's an interesting one yeah that's some of our thoughts thanks Laura anyone else so um I was actually just I was thinking about the the letter of Galatians itself uh, which when you read the whole thing through is It's quite interesting when you start to think about it in terms of these kinds of dynamics. Uh, And when you start to think about what Paul is talking about when he's talking about grace, it's often this kind of idea that's being captured and that somehow faith in Christ and and his, his focus is that somehow because faith in Christ doesn't depend on all of these different things, that means we can all be one um, rather than, you can only come to faith in Christ if you belong to the right group. And so that's some of what shapes his, his conversation. But as he kind of starts, he's pretty fiery. If you read Galatians, uh, he's pretty fired up when he writes it, um, which I like because he sustains the rage because it would have taken a long time to write back then on the, um, on the old scroll, the papyrus and stuff, you know, but he sustains the rage uh, through the whole thing. He probably actually has a, a person writing it for him. Um. And so he's dictating it probably to to someone who's uh, who's writing with him, and he, he probably is. I'm sure he is. <laughs> write faster! Write faster! Um, anyway, he's talking about kind of his journey of coming into being this important leader within the within the church at this time, and his role is kind of being the one who had gone to the non-Jewish people. So in the early church, even though he was a Jew and he started out killing Christians because he thought they were ruining everything, uh, then he has this profound conversion experience where he decides to follow Jesus. And then he becomes what's known as the apostle to the Gentiles. You know, So uh, some, of, some of the people feel their real mission is to their fellow Jewish people to convince them of this Jesus story. But he really feels called to the, to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. So he's talking his way through this story and he has a bit of time out. Uh, And um, he says, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation. And uh, meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Um, Anyway. Uh, this matter arose, there was, there was an issue of circumcision that arose. And he says, this matter arose because some false believers infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Uh, Paul, he's like, um, infiltrators. Um, but actually what they, the reason he calls them false believers is because they were intent on 
recreating these separations. And he was intent on breaking them, these separations down. And he felt anyone who was trying to re-put back in these boundaries between these groups was essentially a false believer. This was much um, more than have, can they recite the Apostles' Creed and uh, Trinitarian doctrine and uh, all the approved belief statements of the church. What shaped for him in this conversation, were you a false believer or not, was were you trying to rebuild these boundaries or were you committed along with him to tearing, tearing the system down in many respects? Um, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who are held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. <laughs> God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. <laughs> Crack up. Um, but you know, that's a, again, a really controversial thing to say in Greco-Roman society to talk about the people who were held in high esteem, the people who had gathered all of that status and worked most of their lives to do so. He's like, I mean, you know, cool, but whatever they had to say was, didn't affect me too much because God doesn't show favoritism like that. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. Again, this big issue. And circumcision in that time was this thing that separated the Jews and the Greeks, right? which is one of these categories. And so on he goes, uh, and he says, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that, they, we, that, is, was that we should remember to, continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now that's pretty intense, isn't it? What does Peter do to condemn himself in Paul's eyes? For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So false believers were the people trying to reinstitute these boundaries. Paul, Peter condemns himself in Paul's language, very harsh at this time, um, because he's withdrawing and deciding he's only now going to eat with Jews again instead of continuing to eat with Gentiles. So the thing that really gets Paul going is, is when people act to create division between groups who are different from one another. Yeah. Was that particularly powerful that Paul was saying that because he had come from such status in his culture where he had typically watched being so supreme? Like he'd, he'd done all the right things and been so pure and educated. So did, did he listen particularly intently because of where he had actually come from? And now he's the guy who used to be like, I'm in, you're out. And now he's like, everybody's in. Was that? I think it helps from a um, from the perspective of someone who had great privilege, we could say, really, acting in ways. When he's tearing apart the system, he's tearing apart his own privilege, not just um, other other people's. You know, uh, so um, I think that carries a particular potency with it because the system he's tearing down is the one that's given him such status, and so in all sorts of different places in his letters. He keeps saying, well, I've got all of these reasons why I could tell you I've got a wonderful status, but I consider that all to be rubbish. Status is maybe less obvious. Maybe I could, we could say that now. 
or less obviously defined by certain things. Although you could probably talk to some people who have less uh, privilege in our current world and they'll tell you those status lines are still quite uh, clear. But I think when you're not the one who's as affected by those, and I say this about myself, until you enter into conversation with people who are, and then you're like, oh, really? Those status lines still exist? Oh, I thought we'd gotten over all of that stuff. Um, yes. Uh, anyway, he... Um, when he sees Peter withdraw and not eat with the Gentiles, this is what he says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, and then he bails out Peter about what he's doing. I find that really interesting. What he sees when Peter does this is you are not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. And the whole book of Galatians is about Paul's notion of grace. And this presence of grace in a community means that these things that divide us must somehow be broken down. Uh, but that in doing so, that is not the disappearance of belonging. But in fact, that's where this unique and profound kind of belonging can be discovered. In this community where we radically accept one another. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that defines the community. Well, certainly, um, the 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 only thing that defines Christian is not that the only thing that defines Christian community is that we um, accept one another, but that a big part of the emphasis of this and and what leads Paul to this point is his grappling with the Jesus story and who this Jesus is that he's encountered and that the gospel of this Jesus then compels him to see the world in this kind of way. So I think the call for the Christian community is to say, we're drawn to this particular story and presence and gospel of Jesus. And that compels us to act in radically different ways in terms of the way in which we treat one another and accept one another than we would otherwise. So those two things do um, um, this, it's the Jesus story that shapes this way of being in the world for Paul. Um, and this idea that, in fact, the presence of the Spirit. So, so Paul goes on to talk over and over again, even later in Galatians, that what is needed in order to live in this kind of way is the presence of the Spirit who is among us because we are unable to live this kind of way in our own, on our own steam. And so when all we do is just try with a level of um, angst and agitation to try and be these different kind of people in the world. Paul says when we do that, we continue, in, we end up stumbling over ourselves. And so what is needed is this kind of presence and spirit and grace of God present among us to help shape us into different kinds of people. That's at least one way to answer that question. Um, right. A quick pause, a stretch, a deep breath. And then we're going to talk, not for a long time, but we'll talk briefly about hospitality um, before we have dinner, which Renee has feared. So, um, oh, we're still missing a couple of people. They'll re-emerge. Um, so I wanted to talk briefly about hospitality 
And um, here we go. And here, Clint actually talked about Manakitanga this morning, if you were at Edge this morning. Uh, some great reflections on this idea, and, and sometimes we use this English word hospitality as well, but sometimes that all hospitality brings to mind is, you know, a cup of tea and maybe having people over, giving them a couch to sit on. Clint tried to tell me that these couches, you know, were important, and I said, oh, embody the hospitality of this community, hey Clint? Um, <laughs> oh, that's, that is true actually, Clint felt sorry for all the people for whom they could not sit on a couch. Yes. Um, but hospitality is this, this big, broad, beautiful idea. Um, and it's about really, in some ways, our stance in the world our orientation in the world, both uh, towards ourselves maybe, but, but towards others. How do we engage in the world? Uh, and it begins in the Christian tradition and a lot of religious traditions, I, I guess, with this recognition, but in particular, I think in a unique way in the Christian story, in God's act of creation is this ultimate act of hospitality. This uh, beautiful creating of this open, vast, extraordinary world as this gift then to the creatures who are created to live within it. So we live within the hospitality of the divine, whether we kind of recognize it or not. We enjoy it. We eat from it and drink uh, and walk on it and live in it, um, embraced by the openness of God. Um, and... In that sense, then, the act of creation itself is this extension of, of hospitality and of an invitation to participate in that kind of way of being in the world for us. And so we are invited to participate in the world with the same kind of orientation, the same kind of openness. That, And, and there's this suggestion for us that when we engage in the world in that kind of way, we don't lose ourselves by being open but we in some way find ourselves in the openness to others and the openness to the world. And maybe we stop clinging to our own life in some kind of way, trying to hang on and keep control of it and figure ourselves out. But as we open up into the world that God has created and laid out for us and opened us into, uh, we actually discover something of ourselves even as we enter into that openness. That's, I guess, a theological idea. Uh, Frederick Buchner, uh, who's an author and a bit of a thinker, a bit of a thinking chap, says this, our happiness is all mixed up with each other's happiness and our peace with each other's peace. Our own happiness, our own peace can never be complete until we find some way of sharing it with people who the way things are now have no happiness and no, no peace. Be truly alive. Be life givers to others. That is what Jesus tells the disciples to be. That is what Jesus tells his church, tells us to be and do. And this kind of profound idea that sits within the Christian faith that to discover happiness, grace, fulfillment, peace, we actually have to share those things in order to discover them. 
Um, when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, which is later in our Galatians book, does anyone know the fruit of the Spirit? What are they? <laughs> That's finding out all the people who went to Sunday school when they were young. and <laughs> um, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says these are the things that grow in our lives, that emerge in our lives as we live a life in, in, filled with and in tune with God's Spirit. Uh, and all of these things, when you think about them, really only flourish when they are things that are oriented towards others. Like love is, if it's just self-directed, now to love ourselves is good, but if all of our love is entirely self-directed, we call that narcissism, I guess. Um, and it's incredibly destructive and unhealthy. So love is this thing that must be shared in order to actually be experienced. Um, joy is another thing that I think you can experience in some ways maybe, but actually joy is enriched and enlarged in the participation of it with, with other people. Um, Sometimes Hannah and I go to shows or maybe to theatre or to a movie or something together. She is a big fan of falling asleep during these things. Just the dim lights and the enjoyment and she starts to feel great and warm and then she realises how tired she is and falls asleep. Um, so she fell asleep in Cirque du Soleil. She fell asleep in Phantom of the Opera. She fell asleep. All sorts of things she can fall asleep in. It's, uh, it's wonderful. And... <laughs> And what I find, because when I'm enjoying something, I like to share it, you know? And so you do that thing, you're like, that was great. Oh, you're asleep. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and, um, but I, I noticed that about myself, even when, you, um, when I watch a funny movie, I laugh a lot more if I'm watching it with other people than if I do if I'm just watching it by myself. It's not to say I don't find it funny or humorous or enjoyable by myself. But sometimes I'm like, it's the experience of sharing that with other people that actually causes joy, the enjoyment to grow. Um, and so when I think about all of these, these aspects of this fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about, this fruit of the kind of life lived, filled with God, um, these are things that, that in fact only grow as we share in them with other people. And... I think this goes against this idea that maybe sits still in the human psyche, which is that um, if others are gaining, I'm losing, but if I'm gaining, others are losing, I've got to get as much for myself as I kind of can to protect my own patch. And so there's this fear that's generated about other people flourishing. Maybe the people in your group, you're happy for them to flourish because these are your people. Um, but the idea of these kinds of virtues sitting at the heart of a full and rich life is that these are things that all must be given and shared in order to be truly experienced. And the reason I think this is important for belonging is because um, it flips the script around in terms of what helps us to belong. Do we belong by closing ranks and saying, this is us, we are these people we're special for these reasons. Uh, or can we actually find that as we open up to the world, we don't lose our sense 
of belonging. But in fact, these things that, that really are what belonging is about, which is love and kindness and all of these things that we're talking about here, when we open up to the world, these things actually grow in us and we might have a fear that we won't have enough to go around, <laughs> that we won't be able to do that, that somehow we'll lose from that opening up. But there's this counterintuitive nature to the Christian message, which is that actually as we open up, we grow, we deepen, we are enriched, we actually find belonging and meaning and real life in ways that we wouldn't perhaps find otherwise. Um, if you think about love for a moment, um, sometimes you think, you might think, I don't know if I could love another person because I've, I've used up all my love. <laughs> and yet when um, some of you have got kids, right? Who has children? I'm probably going to look in this side of the room rather than in this. Um, my experience of people I know with children <laughs> is that when they have them, they find that uh, they have even more love now for the new child that's come along than they had before. It's this thing that actually grows rather than runs out, you know? Um, and so we're invited to participate in that kind of way of being in the world. Um, and so when we experience the hospitality of others and the grace of others, we find a sense of belonging. But also when we extend grace and hospitality to others, we find a sense of belonging. Um, so it's kind of like um, the sense of opening up for an embrace allows you to actually have the embrace and feel the closeness and intimacy of it. Whereas if you're waiting to feel like you've got all of that closeness and intimacy before you will open up to embrace, uh, then you never are able to receive it in the kind of way that you would otherwise. Does that make sense? Yeah? All right. So we are, we are nearly at the end of our conversation. So what I'd, um, what I'd like us to do is just take a couple of minutes to reflect on one more question um, before we close and have some dinner. Cool? All right. What things in us resist living with an openness to the world and how might we respond to this? And discuss. We will uh, come back together again. So I hope you've solved all of those problems. I think... Um, this is a question I want to wrestle with, I think, for my life, you know, because I know there continue to be things in me that do resist. And some of them maybe for really valid and understandable reasons. Sometimes it's just our prejudices or our lack of energy <laughs> or uh, just a general kind of, oh, well, I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, but sometimes I think it's it's for... It's because of our experience in the world. 
for some of us, we are shaped in such a way that either we don't know how to be open to the world or we're terrified of it. And maybe because of our experience of the world has taught us to be terrified. Um, and this, I guess, brings me back and we, for, for time we won't go around and you're also shy after the last round that we'll go to, you can tell you want dinner. Um, but for me, this does come back then to two things. It comes back to the important role of a community where we actually live alongside and support and encourage and embrace one another. So but for those for whom this is a terrifying question, <laughs> might find a safe space to be and to be held. And um, and for those for whom this is like, yeah, openness to the world, oh, I love it. Uh, they, are, they are also in a space where they're able to offer that and able to... And we are able to learn from one another and experience one another in healthy community. Uh, and then as a Christian community, uh, a place where we meet God in that space, that somehow we are able to connect with Jesus, the story of Jesus, and the presence of the Spirit uh, in whom we are able to find that first act of hospitality and openness and generosity that is extended towards us, that as we experience some of that, maybe we are able to be drawn into um, that way of being in the world too. Yeah? Okay. Amen. I don't know how to do that. need to work on that. Um, that is kind of, uh, that is in some ways a bit of a collection of what we've been talking about over the last couple of months, uh, all colliding together into this conversation. But in two weeks' time, we are going to gather here to eat together, which we do anyway. Um, but also to maybe embody some hospitality and some grace toward one another. Um, that doesn't mean we're all, you know, just going to be a big group hug for <laughs> two hours. It just means that we're going to eat together and hang out and drink wine. Um, so there will be wine. Uh, but also we're going to have some, some moments of practice, some moments of reflection, some moments of, of, of finding our way through uh, and, and bringing the formation year to a... Triumphant climax <laughs> slash bottle of wine and a and and uh, and some cheese and uh, some good food. Um, just as a general sense for those of you here tonight, are you? Can you sort of just put your hand up if you think you're likely to be around for that in a couple of weeks' time? Just so that we. Oh, great! God bless you. Um, Cool, and I'm sure I think there'll probably be a few others who have been in and around formation as well. Um, but that's just good to know that you're planning on being around. Uh, so it'll be at 5 p.m. again, but so we won't be eating necessarily right on five. But there'll be some other things to um, as we'll find our way into the evening uh, and wine. Did I mention that? Good. <laughs> Did I? Oh. All right. Um, so we're going to go into some dinner. Do I need to say a prayer or do you feel like it's sufficiently um, in tune? You always what? Are you? I'm oh, good. 
Um, you're always thankful for food? Excellent. Well, then consider that prayer done. We're going to eat together. Uh, dal is what we're having tonight. Uh, thank you, Renee. And thank you to the people who cook for us every couple of weeks. I know Renee and Linda and Clint and some others along the way who um, offer their hospitality, their manakitanga to us and prepare food. So thank you. Thank you to the Lord. Amen.